This is The Drive Podcast with Josh Graham. Welcome to the internet, my friend. How can I help you? Check out The Drive weekday afternoons at 3 on WSJS Sports. It is a Tuesday drive where we are one day away from ACC Football Media Days in Charlotte. That's where we're going to be broadcasting live from tomorrow and Thursday. But tomorrow morning, all eyes are going to be on Jim Phillips. Believe it or not, it's the first time we've heard from him after the USC-UCLA bombshell from about a month back. Surely he's going to be asked about that. Surely he's also going to be asked about his decision to ostensibly kill the college football playoff expansion back in January. This is my prediction. He's going to say a lot of words. There won't be a lot of substance to him. That's generally how these things work. However, that doesn't mean something isn't brewing beneath the surface. I seem to remember a year ago at ACC kickoff, the week started as this week started with the SEC bringing out its coaches and bringing out its commissioner and Greg Sankey. And by the end of the week, Greg Sankey, he spoke. He said a lot of things. But something he didn't say was that he was about to add Texas and Oklahoma. That bombshell dropped when we were all sitting at Uptown Charlotte, where we're going to be tomorrow and Thursday, around 4.30, and a radio host from Clemson came up to me and said, have you seen this? Do you think there's anything to this? And I regretfully said, nah, come on, who's reporting it? It's the Houston Chronicle. Come at me when 40 or Pete Thamel have it. And we all know that it turned out to be accurate. A lot of things were going on behind the scenes during the summer. And I think regardless of what we hear from Phillips, what he's willing to say publicly tomorrow in his forum, the ACC right now is in the best position to add among all the conferences in college football, all the, co- all the conferences in college sports right now, among the power leagues. And I think... They could benefit from adding Pac-12 schools. Hear me out on this. I think they could benefit from adding, let's say, a Western division, so to speak. Pete Thamel was doing some reporting on this last night from ESPN. ESPN also reported that the Big Ten is pretty fat and happy right now. They're not going to add unless it's Notre Dame. They're, They're good with USC and UCLA. The SEC. Yesterday, we heard Greg Sankey say, They're not going to get involved with the grant of rights that the ACC is dealing with. He didn't specifically say the ACC, but he was talking about the ACC. This morning, Heather Dinich said that the Pac-12 and the Big 12 aren't going to merge together, or the Big 12 is not going to pull from the Pac-12. That's according to their sources. So does that mean everybody's just cool now? That nobody's going to act? Ask yourself, who's in a position Who's in the best position to strike? Who's in the best position to benefit? And I think that's the ACC. So what schools would make sense? I'm looking at four. You add four schools to get to 18 plus Notre Dame, their half pregnancy, what they're participating in, not in football, but the rest of sports. And the four schools I'm looking at, Oregon and Washington, who have reportedly made phone calls trying to get out of the conference. They both checked the box of football pedigree. Phil Knight, he wants Oregon out of the conference. And then you add Stanford, 
and Cal who check the academic boxes that university presidents surely will sign off on. Unlike USC and UCLA, go into the Big Ten. These four schools would be guaranteed, if this were to happen, three games that would be on their time zone. USC and UCLA can't say that. They're looking at the one against each other, and let's get really excited about Lincoln. Oh, that's going to be our homecoming game. We're playing in Lincoln. That's where we're going to go. That's the closest road game we got at this point, other than the one we're going to play against each other at the end of the year. You add four, well, that's three games, and you start looking at the schedule, and you think, okay, well, it's not that bad. We got these three games that are relatively pretty close that we look at, and it's not all that bad. And the schools would be willing to jump. The ACC is the third most secure league because of this grant of rights that goes through 2036 that Greg Sankey himself says, that's we're not getting involved with that. We're not going to mess with it. That's proven to be a secure, solid document. So why does the ACC benefit? You might be thinking, Josh, if the Big Ten doesn't want to add Washington and Oregon, why should the ACC do so? Is it really going to improve their revenue so much and the revenue distribution adding these two schools from across the country? Maybe. Only because that would do enough to force ESPN to come to the negotiating table again and look at how much the properties have gone up in these deals with the SEC and the Big Ten and there's a chance that the annual payout for 18 might be close in the ACC if they were to re-up and renegotiate the deal because of the additions than what it currently is right now just because of those property, property values going up. The value of having these leagues on your TV networks. That's number one. But even if it isn't, let's say the pie is cut so, so much that you're still not getting what you are right now. You know, right now, and that doesn't make a lot of sense for the Clemsons and the North Carolinas of the world. The next move you make if you're Jim Phillips, you look at uneven distribution. Now, that doesn't guarantee that Clemson gets more and North Carolina gets more to be happy. No, you, it, you create a structure that incentivizes performance. It's based on performance. Perfect example. North Carolina goes to the Final Four, to the championship game. They make $8 million for the league in doing that. That $8 million is distributed across to everybody in the league evenly, including North Carolina. What if in a hypothetical circumstance, they get half of it? You made it to the Final Four. You get half of that $8 million. And the same would apply to Clemson going to the college football playoff. Maybe that's something that's enough to keep them happy, to keep those schools happy. Because the college football playoff, that's probably not going to be the answer right now after hearing Sankey yesterday say, we live in a totally different world than we did in January. And Notre Dame isn't joining anytime soon. There's only one wrong answer, one certainly wrong answer, and that's doing nothing at all. That doesn't mean that you have to act right now or even a year from now. But you got to act sometime because the clock is ticking, just like it was on the Big 12 a decade ago and the Pac-12 after last summer. The Big Ten and the SEC, as I said, they're fat and happy right now. They're indicating that. But the key emphasis is on the words, for now. For now. 
they're fat and happy. The ACC, I think, is in the best position to add, and they could benefit from adding a Western division with schools like Oregon, Washington, Stanford, and Cal. On Twitter at WSGS Radio, if you want in, 336-777-1600. The WD, Will Dalton, taking your phone calls here on the show. He's wearing his Tar Heel t-shirt today. So how about we talk about Carolina basketball for a second? Yesterday, all five of the projected starters, plus, plus Puff Johnson and Dontrez Styles, sat out in fold-out chairs at the Smith Center meeting with the media. It was a summer media availability. And there was a recurring question that was put to them that I think's kind of become a bit of an elephant in the room for this Carolina basketball team. And that's wondering how they're going to replace Brady Manick. And I appreciated Leaky Black so much the way he talked about the challenge Pete Nance faces in trying to replace Brady and why it might be unfair to place all those expectations one on one for one, Nance coming in from Northwestern and immediately becoming Brady Manick. Brady Manick is Brady Manick. Like, that's not – Brady Manick is Brady Manick. He shot the ball, toes on the – it, like, it can't, didn't even see the rim. Like, that's Brady Manick. Like, Pete can shoot the ball, don't get me wrong, but it's just Brady Manick can shoot the, like, shoot the lights out, but Pete is more of like, a, you know, the lob threat – you know, um, big time defender. You know, he has all of that. He just has all that. He's like more of the IQ. Brady was like more of like a motor. You know, Brady's motor just really carried him. Pete, this is IQ. Like you can't teach what he knows. And I feel like that's the difference between the two. Pete can still shoot it, but Brady Manning is Brady Manning. Nance, he averaged 15 points a game at Northwestern, but that's a different 15 points a game doing so in the Big Ten for a bad Northwestern team than averaging 15 a game like Brady did for Carolina last year. The 45% from three, a bit skewed because of how fewer shots he took from three. So that's the question. Yes, Nance is going to bring some things that Brady didn't, particularly defensively and spelling our guy Armando Baker. Armando! Carolina needs a returning player to take a big leap from three. Is it going to be R.J. Davis, who was 37% from three-point range? Getting close to 40%? Is it going to be Caleb Love? Is he going to be more efficient in the shots that he take? Take somebody has to be that guy. And that's the elephant in the room going into what's bound to be a pressure pack exciting season for Carolina following that Final Four run. Replacing Brady Manick. How do you do it? And specifically, how do you replace that level of three-point shooting? Get the show going. It's the drive with Josh Graham. It's been a while since we've talked to Mark Brazel from the Wyndham Championship, but can't think of a better time than now. Actually, I probably could. A few weeks from now in Margaritaville as the tournament is beginning. First week of August, the Wyndham Championship, Sedgefield Country Club in Greensboro. But for the first time in a long time, Mark Brazel, not the tournament director of the tournament. That's Bobby Powell. But he still wears multiple hats. We know about all the stuff that you've done with the Piedmont Triad Charitable Foundation. I believe you're the CEO of that. And now you're the executive director of the Wyndham. Now that uh, Bobby Powell is the TD... How much different do you anticipate your first week of August is going to be out at Sedgefield? Well, I hope it's a little bit more relaxing, Josh. Um, <laughs> that's the key. 
No, um, you know, we, we're, we've been a great team for a long time. We were staying as a great team, Bobby and me. And, and um, between the two of us, we kind of, you know, oversee all the sales, all the operations, manage the staff, manage all the volunteers. And so he's taken a little bit more of a leadership role in that. I've been um, still oversee the tournament. Um, but again, Bobby and I work hand in hand on this thing along with our executive team. I report directly, obviously, to our board of directors, and it also gives me a little bit more time to work on a couple other projects that we're working with through the foundation, through my tribe, Charitable Foundation, in relation to music and, and education. Anything you could share with us on the music front? You know, we've um, started a bit of a singer-songwriter series that we're going to um, kind of kick back up. We're going to do a little bit of it in the week, week of the tournament, but also in the fall. Um, once some of this uh, depressing weather uh, heat gets out of here, mm-hmm. um, but no, we're we've been we've done a couple things. We'll have more live music downtown Greensboro and and around the other towns around the uh, community around the region. So um, we've been in a I would say a discovery stage of what we need and what we can do to um, help kind of just bring a live music vibe to the area. I think our area has a pretty good music scene right now, but I think that we can take it to another level. Mark Brazel, Executive Director of the Wyndham Championship, joining us here on WSJS News Talk Sports for the Triad. And I wanted to ask you, because I don't think we've discussed it, uh, live golf momentarily and the challenges it might present the Wyndham specifically, because when I look at the guys who are participating. Now, you got the big names that everybody talks about, like a Phil Mickelson, for example. But I'm for this for the context of this conversation, I'm interested in the guys like uh Abraham Ancher and uh Patrick Reed and you know many other guys like Ian Poulter that we've gotten to know quite a bit for being in Greensboro year to year. I, I see day to day and it's always it always uh, is a welcome press release when I see new names being added to the field, like Kevin Kisner today protecting his title from last year in Sedgefield. But what you tell me, what challenges have Live Golf presented to putting together a field this year at Sedgefield? You know, obviously, I mean, I just got back from the the Open Championship in St. Andrews um, on Saturday. I was over there for about three days. A great time, very beneficial to, to the tournament. Um, to the Wyndham. I don't really feel like we're going to lose more than maybe two or three guys to, to the live deal. Um, you know, the Saudi Arabians regime is pretty dead set on sports washing and even trying to take over certain sports. I think that's what this is. I think they're making a play for golf, which, um, you know, I'm going to sit, very closely beside Jay Monahan and the PGA tour on this one, because I still think they have the best hand. Um, I think their world golf rankings will play a role in this. I think the majors will play a role in this. It's interesting to see how Phil Mickelson has gone from one of the most beloved players in the world to, you know, being booed at a U.S. I mean, at a British open and, and, you know, his, his stock has probably dropped dramatically since he joined the live. And so have so many of the other players. Um, I stand fully and firmly next to Tiger Woods and his comments. 
and the secretary of the RNA with his comments at the, at the British Open last week. Mark Brassel with us here. What do you make? So what exactly can change between now and next year? Because this is the rare instance, Mark, where it's not just the league that's concerned looking out for their business. It's also the golf fan themselves themselves that look that's looking at this thinking, I don't like this either. They both seem to be aligned. I haven't met one person who says, oh, I'm super jacked about what's happening here with Live Golf and specifically to the PGA Tour as a result of Live Golf's existence. Is everybody kind of waiting on what Augusta is going to do here and what's going to happen with the Masters between now and April? I think so. I'm not sure that's the only play here, but there's a, there's a number of plays and that we're waiting on. And, and um, But, you know, if you're a member of the PGA Tour, <clears throat> you've pretty much become a multimillionaire and so many of these guys have because of the PGA tour, because of the tour that was set up by Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer and taken to another level by Tiger Woods. And, you know, all these guys made tens and sometimes even hundreds of millions of dollars at the PGA tour. And because of the tour, they were able to get deals with Titleist and TaylorMade and Callaway and Ping and Peter Millar and Polo and Adidas and all these Nike and all these companies, not to mention all the financial companies and insurance companies that are putting their logos all over these players because the PGA tour and the relationship with the golf channel, NBC, CBS, uh, Sky Sports, Discovery Network, and so many of their medians throughout the world that, that shows the PGA tour product to over 1.5 billion households they've made all kinds of money um not only in earnings not only in fedex cup winnings but they've made a bunch of money because they're being shown on tv worldwide tv and that is a big deal and they have been competing they have been eating what they kill just like me in sales and other people that do sales you you get a little bit of money up front to have a salary when I was in sales, still am, but when I was a sales guy, and, and you go out and you make your living on how you do each day. Well, that's what golf's all about. It's not the same as soccer and, and football and basketball and baseball. It's not, that's, those are team sports. These are individual sports. They, they bust their ass every day to try to be the best they can, try to win golf tournaments, to try to improve their ranking on the FedEx Cup, rankings and the world golf rankings and it's called competition and josh when you're talking about this whole thing it's about that word right there how much competition is there when you're getting paid a hundred million dollars up front and they're like yep i can kind of sit back and rest and practice a little bit and maybe go play these tournaments it's not true competition in my opinion and that's what uh martin slumber of the, of the rna was saying and i totally agree with it and it doesn't mirror what you play in the majors, which is what Tiger was talking about as well. Mark Brazel with us here, focusing in on your tournament, the Wyndham, a few weeks from now. Uh, how confident? You said you were at the Open Championship watching what Cameron Young did, the former Demon Deacon, uh, finishing second, hitting that eagle on 18. How confident that you're going to get all the weight guys, Webb, Zalatoris, Cam Young, to be at Sedgefield? 
you know, I'm not confident in that. I, I, I would, I'm, I'm hopeful. I know Webb's playing. Um, um, I know Billy Haas is playing. Mm-hmm. I don't know about Will, and I don't know about Cameron. Now, both of them have plenty to play for. President's Cup, President's right? President's Cup, Comcast, uh, Top 10, which is the end of our tournament. There's $20 million spread of, uh, amongst the top 10 players after our tournament. Um, there's just all kinds of things to play for. And also um, positioning themselves even higher up on the, on the FedEx Cup rankings for uh, a, a strong showing in the next three weeks after our tournament. What was the highlight for you being out at St. Andrews? Well, I'm not going to lie. I had a little tear in my eye when Tiger was walking the 18th hole. And um, I Where was were right you? There. I was hugged up against the fence on the first hole, which is right across the – I was probably 50 yards from Tiger and probably um, 100 yards out from the, from the 18th green. So he's walking up the 18th green. And I'm or to the 18th green, and I'm over on his left, along with you know 10 people behind me and people all everywhere. I've never seen anything like that in my life. Wow, that's amazing. Oh, one it more note. Was absolutely amazing. One more note before we um, let you go. I thought this was pretty cool. Yeah. That Sir Nick Faldo pointed out that Greensboro means a lot to him. That his first professional golf tournament on the PGA Tour was the GGO. Once upon a time, yeah. And his final golf tournament as a commentator before he retires, right before the playoff begins, of course, is going to be at the Wyndham Championship, sitting alongside Jim Nance a few weeks from now. Anything planned? Yep. Any type of send off for Sir Nick Faldo? Yeah, we've got a couple things planned. Um, they'll be coming to light soon. Um, you, know, you know, to have a guy in the in the next to in the CBS Tower, next to Nance, who I think Nance is the greatest commentator of all time in sports. But to have a guy who used to, was a former number one player, five or six time major champion, um, that's pretty special. To have him start his career on the PJ Tour in Greensboro, and have him finish his commentating career with CBS and the Golf Channel on a Sunday in Greensboro at the Winter Championship is really special. So uh, I appreciate you bringing that up. Another thing that's really special this year is that Davis Love III, this will be his 25th year. Mm-hmm. And, Josh, one more thing about our tournament. I, I've never Please. felt so bullish and, and confident about our tournament as I have this year. Our field's taking great shape right now. Every day I'm seeing new players, a lot of Europeans playing, other top Americans playing. But I'm also watching – I've also seen my sales team and – we all have done a great job. Bobby Powell's done a great job as tournament director, but we are in a great spot uh, corporate sponsorship-wise, and I think this is going to be one of the best, if not the best, tournaments we've seen in a long, long time. Mark, I hope you get to enjoy it that week, though. Enjoy some loaded land sharks and the entire deal um, and enjoy no, that I won't side be doing that, but I'll, at some <laughs> point I will. Uh, I look forward to seeing you face-to-face. It's been a while. Thanks so much for making the time for us, as always. Josh, I appreciate it, buddy. No doubt. Good to hear from you. That's Mark Brazel joining us. He is no longer the tournament director, as he's pointed out. That's Bobby Powell, executive director of the Wyndham Championship. And few people, golf matters so much to folks around here. I remember Ed Harden telling me a long time ago when I first took the job here, sports that have always mattered in the triad, always, even before the ACC, golf and racing. 
golf and racing. And few have done for golf in this area, the greater triad area, more in recent memory than Mark Brazel has done. So he deserves all the flowers. Introducing the world's greatest entertainer, the hardest working man in show business. Ladies and gentlemen, the star of the show. Now back to the drive with Josh Graham. Do you want to see Dave Matthews Band? Well, we've got two pairs of tickets to give away on today's show. One of which we'll give away later this hour. DMB performing at Walnut Creek in Raleigh on Friday night. In order to win those tickets, this is what you're listening for as a cue to call in later in the hour. Is Ant Marching his most popular song? It's or is def- it Crash Into Me? I don't know which one is more popular. I know he doesn't like Crash Into Me much. Oh, really? So he doesn't really perform it live anymore. I go to a strange place every time I hear Crash Into Me. I go to Joe Dirt. There's the scene where he's... Have you seen Joe Dirt, WD? I have not. <sighs> There's-, <laughs> There's a scene where he's living out of a janitor's closet when that song's playing and he's thinking about the beloved Brandy in that movie. Maybe eventually we'll get to that. That'll be episode 555 or so of At The Movies. It's funny because you were explaining last night during our uh, little bachelorette get-together that twice, you were explaining to my girlfriend that twice a show, at least, you make a movie reference and I give you the blank stare. So there's one. That's one. There's one, and we're we'll half find, hour in. We'll find another one before we call it quits at 6 o'clock for supper time. <laughs> now let's get to the ACC. I picked my Coastal and Atlantic champions yesterday. I've got Clemson beating North Carolina in the ACC championship game. Now I've got my top 10 teams ranked in the conference. So this is not me doing predicted order of finish in the Atlantic and Coastal specifically, although I will reveal those. I'll reveal my poll when I actually vote on that officially sometime in the next few days. Let's get the thing started right now with... Number 10. The Virginia Cavaliers. Bad O-line. Really favorable schedule. New coaching staff. Really good quarterback. This might be the most difficult team in the ACC to figure out. I can't completely rule them out as a dark horse to win the Coastal, but that O-line is so bad. It's just hard for me to imagine they can edge out Miami, North Carolina, and Pittsburgh to get to Charlotte. So they're number 10 in my ACC top 10. Number 9. Florida State Seminoles. This is really tough for me. At the very top, I do think you have the tier of Clemson, Wake Forest, NC State, and whatever order you care to put them in. But beyond that, I think it's a tier that's hard to separate between Florida State and Boston College and Louisville. I I think those are three teams put together very tightly in whatever order you plan to put them in. 
I'm not going to object to. I haven't been sold on Mike Norvell dating back to his days in Memphis. I don't think this is going to be a very good football team. Yes, they have talent, but Florida State's always had talent. It didn't work out for Willie Taggart. I don't know if it's going to work out for Norvell. And if things go south, people are going to want to fire Norvell. I don't think FSU has the money to do that again, given the lofty buyouts that are associated with that program. FSU's at number nine. Number eight. The Louisville Cardinals. Going back to trying to differentiate between these Atlantic teams in that second tier. What separates FSU and Louisville, in my mind, is quarterback. It's not the most important thing in college. Depth normally is. And the way Louisville has been recruiting the transfer portal, the way that Scott has taken advantage of NIL, I think it's going to give them enough to edge FSU and have a pretty good season. Malik Cunningham, a lot better quarterback than Jordan Travis. He could be an ACC Player of the Year dark horse. And I think Scott Satterfield's a better coach than Mike Norvell. So there's Louisville at eight. Number seven. Then there's Boston College. I really like this Boston College team. They remind me the most of Pittsburgh a year ago. That doesn't mean they can win the Atlantic, but they caught a lot of breaks with their schedule. You get the quarterback to come back in Djokovic for his final year. You have the great Bolitnikoff Award calendar, caliber receiver. By the way, Will. Yep. That, I did, aren't you a Bolitnikoff voter? Yeah, that's... That's a thing. Uh, Zay Flowers, Viljakovic, that might be the best combination of one-two punch in all college football, or at least in the ACC. And Jeff Halfley, strong coach. It was a bit of a step back last year, but a lot of that had to do with Djokovic going down. That's when their season really went south. They won their first three or four games of the season. Then Djokovic got hurt, and that's why things went south. Djokovic coming back, that's significant. Flowers coming back, even though he was almost poached by schools on the NIL front the way that Addison was by USC. BC, don't sleep on the Eagles. That's what I'm telling you right now. Number six. There's the Pitt Panthers. Choo-choo! The Pitt train. Sixth in the ACC top ten. I don't know what Keaton Slovis is going to be. That's why... I don't love them to win the Coastal Division. You lose Addison. You lose Mark Whipple, the OC, which is more significant than I think a lot of people give it credit for. And Slovis comes in. It's a lot of change for a program. It's hard to imagine them having such consistency that they're winning back-to-back Coastal Division championships. That hasn't happened in nearly 15 years, and it's only happened once since the ACC went to divisions in 2005. What I'm saying is I don't have faith in the Pittsburgh Panthers. They were really good last year, and they haven't earned the benefit of the doubt for me to think this is going to be a sustained division-winning program year to year. So Pitt six. Number five. There's the Miami Hurricanes. Slightly in front of Pitt. I'm not in love with this Miami team because they have a lot of changes too. Ch-ch-changes. Mario Cristobal. Now the head coach. Love the additions they're making. They're spending a lot of money. Thanks, Kirk Herbstreet, for those comments last fall in order to really spark something down there. It looked like it was going to be a terrible recruiting class in the 50s or low 60s, according to 24-7, that Manny Diaz was putting together. As soon as Cristobal arrives, they bolster that thing up to where it's a top 20 recruiting class. 
this year. You got Tyler Van Dyke, who's put up great numbers. My concern is it's a small sample size. He only started eight games. The numbers look really good, but how many of those games were in pressure pack situations where expectations were being put at the feet of TVD? Not many of them at all. I like this Canes team. I don't love it. They're number five. Number four. NC State. Sorry, Pack fans. Sorry. The Pack, they do lose quite a bit. I don't see an immediate sure thing replacement at left tackle. Kind of an important position to replace Iki Aquano. That defense should be excellent. But you're going to Clemson. And Wake Forest generally has your number. Or at least they have since Dave Clawson arrived in Winston-Salem. I think things could start off on the wrong foot in Greenville. East Carolina made it to a bowl game last year. They're at home. That place is going to be rocking. It could look a lot like 2015 North Carolina. I've got some concerns here with NC State. Fourth out of uh, the 15 in the ACC. Or I guess Number the 14. Three. Notre Dame doesn't really count. Sorry about that. North Carolina, the Tar Heels, my ACC Coastal Champs. You get Pittsburgh at home rather than on the road on a Thursday night like last year. And by the way, that game's coming after a bye. North Carolina's quietly owned Miami, winning the last three and five of the last seven. The Tar Heels, along with Clemson, the only ACC programs to net three consecutive top 15 recruiting classes the last three seasons. That's according to 24-7. I don't care so much who's going to be the quarterback. I like that there's some competition there. Let the best guy win out between Drake May and Jacoby Criswell. And I think that guy's going to be good enough with a bolstered offensive line. It helps that you get a guy from Miami in the portal who can immediately start for you. This defense is going to be awesome. Gene Chizik is qualified to run it. We saw that back in 2015. I like the way things are shaking out for North Carolina. I think they're going to win the Coastal Division. Number two. The Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Overstate, over the Tar Heels. I just have so much faith in Dave Clawson. And they upgraded on the defensive staff with Lambert over Hempville. I think the defense is going to be a lot better than it was relative to Wake Forest because when they run what they run offensively and it's as high octane as it is, that's a lot of snaps that a defense has to play. The Deeks bring pretty much everybody back and that system's hard to account for. The Deeks are number two and they deserve it. I think I'm preaching to the choir on this being in the triad. Number one. It's got to be Clemson. You want to talk about earning the benefit of the doubt. I get last year didn't go their way, but when this thing doesn't go their way and they still win 10 games in a season and they win their last six games, including the last four by an average margin of 23 points, I'm going to bank on that team when they have a ton of top five recruiting classes and they don't ha- they don't lose any first round draft picks for the first time since 2018 and just the second time in the last decade. Yeah, it's Clemson. Now, the gap's not as wide as we talked about in previous seasons. And that's why this year is going to be really exciting for the ACC, both in the Coastal race and in the Atlantic race. Really exciting for the first time in a really long time. But it's still Clemson. It's got to be Clemson, the number one team in the ACC. Any questions?
loved the Boston College Pitt comparison, by the way. Because I felt that way about Boston College kind of going into last season, but then Djokovic got hurt. That team reminded me a lot of Louisville after Scott impressed people his first year. Took a bit of a step back. Injuries certainly factored into that, but I just file that away. File BC away. That's all I got to say on that. Now back to the drive with Josh Graham. This is my favorite Dave Matthews band song. Which sounds like a contradiction because I said earlier that I don't think Dave Matthews was that great in the 2000s relative to his 90s stuff. And I recognized that I think this was on the same album as the Space Between record that had, you know, this song. I think it was like 2001 or 2002. Doesn't mean I'm exactly wrong. Hayes Permar of Sports Channel 8 joining us. Dave Matthews Band. We gave away some tickets, a couple pairs earlier today. Matt Rule is a super DMB guy. I, I believe Dave Matthews Band. Dave Matthews himself is from Charlottesville. So can we call him an ACC legend? Is he one of the top ACC legend musicians that are out there? Well, let's start with this, Josh Grant. You're definitely wrong. You are wrong on that being the best Dave Matthews Band. And, yeah, you're way more right on anything saying anything at that point or past because it isn't even eligible. Um, Gray Street, is that what you're going with is the best day of Matthews? I, can't, I, I love I Gray Street. What the question was. I love Gray I Street, but he's, he's a Charlottesville. So, I mean, he wasn't we, – we know he's not a – I don't even think Dave Matthews is American, but he – I think Charlottesville was where they came from, yes? Am I yeah, right 100%. on that? 100%. Yes, it was a Charlottesville thing. Um, and so, yeah, they're, they're an ACC band for sure. They've even got that ACC vibe of like, like they rock kind of like the ACC. Like they rock, but not hard. Okay. Hayes Permar, this is the transition that we're going to have on our way to Skips or Plays DMB edition. Hayes Permar is somewhat of a renaissance man, an expert in the finer things, but he hangs his hat on music. Loves his God, and he's no friend of Satan. He was like, oh, six, getting busy with the sticks, been watching Big Mike and Lil Trick. I just need a Zion and someone he can dunk on. Today, Hayes will decide if this music is smash or trash, glows or blows. It's time for Skips or Plays with Hayes. WD has pulled some songs. If you haven't heard this segment before, Hayes is going to decide if something is a skip or a play. This is a Dave Matthews Band edition. For example, he would have skipped Gray Street, it sounds 100%. like. Okay. 100%. And also, can I, can I just point out, you're a little young for this, but for the members of your audience that are like 40 years old or older, maybe even like close to 50 or maybe as young as like 38, the Dave Matthews concert used to be the event of the summer. Like if, when you were in high school, you had to be at the Dave Matthews concert. Things were going down. Things were happening. Everything was going on at the Dave Matthews concert, and you had to be there. So I, there's, there's this, I feel like there's a Dave Matthews backlash. Like there's Dave Matthews haters because he's kind of like jam band light. 
He's kind of rock light, as I mentioned, so it's like kind of easy to hate him. And I don't love. I make fun of a lot of people who are hardcore Dave Matthews fans, but Dave Matthews had a time and a place. And again, when I was in high school, you had to be at the Dave Matthews concert, or like you might as well not. It'd be like not being on Twitter when a when a huge sports event goes down. Like you might as well not even be know what's happening if you weren't at the Dave Matthews show. You got to you got to be there to be a high school student in the 90s. What's the first DMB song for Hayes, WD? Let's go with Crush. Crazy how it feels tonight. Crazy how you make it all alright. I know where I stand on this, but Permar, how about you? Uh, this is a play. Um, there, there's a, there's sections of it. If we get to get there are better 15 to 20 seconds run. Interestingly enough, this crosses over with a topic we've hit many times on the show, Josh Graham. Our mutual friend Joe Giulio of uh, 99 The Fam. Yeah, afternoon host in Raleigh. This was his first dance song. Wow! Which I completely clown. Like, I would go the luckiest. Even more than the- clowning the luckiest? Even though my rule is like ballads are out, the luckiest is still a closer fit to a first dance song than crushed by Dave Matthews. Uh, but yes, that was his. This is a great song and a great album. If you get a chance, Matt Norlander, great basketball writer who loves music, he wrote an article about before these crowded streets. It kind of hits upon some of the themes I mentioned of Dave Matthews kind of falling into this like easy to hate backlash. Like Coldplay. You know, I'm a huge Coldplay fan. Yes, you know. yes, yes. Um, but about how this album is actually like you, if you take all the, what people are saying about Dave Matthews and what people like or don't like, or the backlash, if you just listen to this album. It is a fantastic one. And I agree with it before this credit streets and crush. Great. Hayes Permar is with us. We're playing skips or plays with Hayes. He's from sports channel eight. We'll get to more ACC related topics later on. Josh, when... Do you like how I asked to make it a quick segment, but then I'm going on and on in, in every answer and making it longer as possible? I, th- I thought that was a nice. Yeah, we had a surprise for you that we were going to get to after we get done with this oh, game. Oh, but... okay, my bad. I'll shut up. I'll make it quick. All right, let's go. What's the second song for Hayes Vermont? Don't drink the water. Oh. I just praised this album. Same album. He works the banjo into it. So, yeah, I'm not going to skip it. This is a play. Oh, this is a play. This is a hey, skip. Burma. That's a skip. Hey, you're, you're being soft. You're going, you've gone soft on me. Don't no, it's, water. I, I lo- this album is an underrated. I, Dave Matthews is like one of the artists I would most like to strip away. That doesn't mean that every All song's a play on it. That means there could be some skips on a good album. That's a good song. Okay. You, it's, uh, it skips or plays with Hayes, right. not if, with. If I had to, if I had to line the album up and pick like five skips on it, that might be a skip. But you're right. I mean, maybe I'm soft or sentimental. But right now, I'm just being 17 again, and I want to be at the Dave Matthews concert. So yes, sorry, I'm being soft. Is WD gonna go three for three? Let's I find out. Might. What do we got? 41. Go old, WD. Go old. 41. This sounds like three for three to me. There's only one answer to this. 
It's a play. It's oh. a play. This feels like, hey, summer. This feels like a summer concert, man. The whole crowd is about to go, ha, 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 hey. Like, this is a summer concert song, and, and it's summer concert season, and I'm getting swept away. I'm soft. You're right, Josh. I deserve it all. Hey, Spermar, here's the surprise we got for you. Congrats to WD. Three for three with Dave Matthews Band Songs and Skips or Plays. Media Day's tomorrow. You're not going to be yep. at Media Day, are you? No, nah, I'm not going to make it. See, but you, you are a legend in my heart at ACC Media Days. You always find a way to stand out. You wore uh, a tux one year. You brought Lil Penny, and all the players love Lil Penny. And then one time in Greensboro, I don't think we've ever played this sound with us being here in the triad, but I think it's fitting now. Hayes once sat down at a piano with Wake Forest great. Wake Forest wide receiver Michael Campanero, and here's some of what happened, the song that Hayes wrote specifically for Michael Campanero. Son of two chefs catching passes away. Campanero. Campanero. Six feet tall, plays out wide. 200 pounds of Maryland pride. Campanero. Screen. He's a record smashing pass catching Deacon Machine. Campanero. Campanero. Yeah, Campanero. Whoa, Campanero. I love Michael Campanero. <laughs> I thought he was going to make it with the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, that is, I, I don't, one day he's going to become an obscure Wake Forest player. Oh, yeah. You remember Michael Campanero? He might already yeah. be that. But I, I enjoy that clip. Now he had the, in the Cooper Cup era. You wonder if like Campanero employed more effectively might have been a better pro. But now nah, he was a great player. I called him six feet high in that song. That might have been a little generous. Um, but no, shout out to the Simpsons. That was a parody of a Simpsons parody of an SUV commercial. <laughs> shout out to Luke the Cock and others because I feel like they started the trend on Twitter and then I just spun it out into a full song because I had the the musical ability to do so. So that's back in the early days of Twitter when both Twitter was a lot more fun and the collective sports media used to have a lot more fun. And uh, I doubt that anyone will be up at 3 a.m. dancing on a piano in Charlotte. Even the ACC, even though they're not as big as the SEC or Big Ten, still are a little more corporate than they used to be about 10 years ago when we partied down. But uh, you guys have some fun. And uh, pour one out for uh, for me when I won't be there. Yeah, when Hayes did that, when he was shirtless on the piano, and we showed up the next day, Larry Fedora, I'll never forget, came by, looked at Hayes, gave him like a finger gun, and said like, saw the picture, nice work, something of that sort. Hayes, the best thing is how many people that like claim that either they're not up at night or they don't look at Twitter, and like clearly saw Twitter at three in the morning somehow. Because a lot of people had a comment for me at seven thirty the next morning, they already knew about it. So that's my golden night. That's my golden night hotel bar at the Westin later tonight. Get it done. We'll see if we make it happen in honor of you. We'll pour one out for you, homie. Hayes Permar, appreciate the time. Thank you, fellas. See y'all.